Christ in me, Christ in me, Christ in me, the home of God. 
to do this a different way at the last second, so excuse me with that. Yeah. Father, we just love you, and we ask for your presence right now. We ask that the words that we speak today that would come to the hearts of every person here, that it would be a time of uh, knowing you in a new way. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just anoint everything we've ever taught in the past and begin to build on it, and that we become everything that you've called us to be. We thank you for the, the mercy that you have for us and the love that you have for us, that you've called us according to your purpose. We love you and honor you. Amen. Oh, I got an assistant today. Oh, Vanna. <laughs> Vanna. Vanna needs to. I got to find one more thing called a pen to write with. I can only draw because I misspell most everything, so... You'll know when I have a board out that I'm not going to be writing things down. I'm going to be drawing pictures. So. Well, this, this thing is really precarious. Oh, yeah. Oh. The leg doesn't work well. This is like, this is like the Mark's Oh, well. Why Harpo is working on that? <laughs> I'm the duck. It's broken, huh? Well, I don't know. I'm gonna go steal hers in a minute. That's a fix. We've been talking about a lot of basic understandings of the scriptures over the last year or two. Uh, we've been around. If those of you are new, for about two years, a little over two years now. And I've been laying down a lot of basic understandings of what the scriptures say. And now I'm going to begin to, well, I actually began last week, to take some of the teachings and connect them together. And take things that don't normally stand out in the scriptures to you and bring you to a different understandings and a greater understandings. The scriptures, uh, well, Jesus, when he spoke, he spoke in parables. And he says, oh, for those who have ears can hear. And it was basically, and the and the whole Bible really is written in a way that it's very hard to understand unless you have the Holy Spirit within you. And so uh, that's something that you need to ask God in your heart to have his spirit within you to be able to understand it. And I'm going to take some things that, I, that are in the scriptures and begin to connect them together that you would understand things in a little bit different way, in a deeper way than we have before. We talked about last week about it's... A time of tribulation now, that we're a generation of people that are very, very fortunate that have been called to know God in these last days. Uh, I've been a Christian for 35 years. I've never said it before recently, but I really believe it's the last days now. I, I believe we're moving into that time slot. And that time slot where there's, uh, the earth goes through great tribulations and great trials, but along with those great trials comes great glory. Because we get to see our God work in action. And so it, for us that know him, it's an extremely exciting time. It's an extremely exciting time to see what he does and to be able to draw other people to Christ. Because as now, as this time comes into being, things are opened up where more people will come to know Christ. It's a 
been a dark time recently. And it's going to still continue in darkness, but whenever there's darkness, there's a greater light. Because light is shown in the darkness. And you're going to be able to see God and be able to explain who God is to people more clearly. So what this, one of the shifts have to be, and I'll show you as, we, as I speak more here today why, it's a shift from being centered on what's good for here to be what's good for the kingdom. And these last days, God really wants people to be kingdom-minded. That means he wants people to primarily want to expand his kingdom. He wants people that, uh, that, that want to bless financially the kingdom of God, wants to bless uh, spiritually the kingdom of God, wants the kingdom of God to come into uh, the front of their life as well as other people's lives more than anything else. Now, in Genesis, I mean, in, uh, uh, I can't even think what it is, uh, scriptures say, that if you seek God first, if truly is God kingdoms first, then he'll give you everything else as well. So we know in going after God and going for his kingdom first that we're going to have the presence of God and we're going to have the blessings of God financially. This, about two and a, about a couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago, we, we decided to take our little guest house and uh, make it a uh, kind of bed and breakfast. And our first clients was this guy here. His name is Blake Mikowski, this guy right here. And this guy is a Christian guy, really nice, fun guy. And he had been on uh, out the world, and uh, one of his friends were a missionary, and he was telling him that more people die because of not having shoes than any other thing in the world because they get things and infections, and it ends up killing them, especially in Africa and other places. And this really struck him. And so he decided he's going to do something about it. And what he did, he built a business with the idea of blessing these kids. So what you, if you go buy Tom's shoes anywhere, what will happen is every pair you buy, he gives a pair away. Now, in two and a half years, he has given 87,000 pairs of shoes away in two and a half years. Very kingdom-minded and also become very well-off in the process. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's lots of stories like this, this around. But this one is just close to me because this guy's really a fun guy. I really like the guy. But that's his heart. His heart was to spread and protect the children that they would live longer and be healthy. And, and, the, and the heart of the kingdom of God so drove him to do something like this, and God blessed him from it. That's kingdom thinking. Now, I'm going to take some. That's the practical part of uh, being kingdom-minded. 87,000 children that never, ever had shoes before, I might add. Every one of these kids have never had shoes before. And its commitment is, does everyone he gives the pairs to, that he'll give them another pair when he meets them. So in other words, those are 87,000 kids that their lives are permanently affected by what he did. Pretty cool. Very cool. So, we're moving to a time right now. Yeah, he's right here in Santa Monica. Real cool guy. Blake Mikowski, what a name. And he has himself a nice little custom Porsche. Really nice guy. You know what? God doesn't mind you having all the nice things, too. It's not about being poor Christians. It's about being kingdom-minded, not the other. You know, through the, through the years in the church, it's been taught a poverty mentality. That is, that Christians have to be poor and they give everything away. And it really is a lie. It's, it's really not from the kingdom of God. Uh, God, historically, all the way through the scriptures, has blessed 
his people financially as well as every other way. Matter of fact, so much said in the New Testament, he had, they had to warn him to say, you know, uh, you know, that this kingdom is not about being materially blessed, that you would think that people would go after that. That's my own words in it. But the idea that, that there was such a blessing in the communities that, that we believed, finances came up so much that they were accused of that was what it was about, when it's the opposite it was about. Uh, you know, I had a friend who did some historic uh, study of that area, and he found that every time this, where this, the gospel spread, the, the community changed. The community changed, became more wealthy, more benevolent, more blessed. That's what God wants to do with this. But the core of that is something a little different than we know. I started off probably when we first started the church on Genesis through Genesis 2, I think, on through about 4 or 5. And I'm actually going to read that and revisit that because it's a foundation that I was laying. Now, the foundation, of course, was the two trees. What did I do with that phone? You know. So why don't you read that? Uh, would you read that for us, Lois? Do you have the microphone? Yeah, good. Just read all the whole chapter. It's not a very long chapter. It's very short. Chapter 3, Genesis. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the servant, serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, 
and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat of it and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay. Now I'm going to go through this kind of quickly uh, because... A lot of, some of you people have actually heard it before. Hopefully slow enough that those of you who haven't would get it. But first of all, the garden was symbolic of our life. Okay? And matter of fact, the word garden in Hebrew means uh, protected or bride. So in other words, when Adam was put in the garden with Eve, we were the bride of Christ. We were bride of God. We, we belonged to him. And we were required that there's only one thing to eat from that uh, in the center of the garden. That's the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There's lots of other trees, and the main tree in the center was the tree of life. Now, the tree of life was symbolic of Christ, okay? In other words, of God. The idea of having God centered in your life. And in, in the garden, it said, he said in there, on the day that you eat from this other tree, you shall surely die on the day. It didn't say if you eat. It says on the day that you eat, you will surely die. And Adam apparently made it some period of time, we don't know how long, without eating from that tree. But later, he became tempted and ate from the other tree. And what happened is he was no longer allowed to eat from the tree of life and was actually kicked out of the garden. Now, so that left one thing to be centered. Tree of knowledge of good and evil is very often could be identified with self, you know, being self-directed, self-centered. Because the idea is they went to eat from that tree to get more knowledge and understanding. They didn't feel adequate in who they were by themselves. Matter of fact, I made a list of a couple things that, that I'm going to kind of go through quick with. But the tree of life, they got their image from God and the relationship from God. And they loved one another through that. Uh, they had eternal life and total freedom. Uh, the tree of good and evil, they had to exercise their own will to choose something else. And the, the choice was, was to run their own life the way they wanted to. The choice was to uh, uh, have the right... To decide what is right and wrong for their life. Or as the serpent said, to be like God. See, to be like God means you have your own rights to run your own life. You aren't centered in on God. You're centered in on your own desires with your own timing for your own accomplishments. That's what that means. So to be centered on those things, God says here you can't be centered on God and yourself. You're going you're to love one or hate the other. It's mutually exclusive. And that's what it says on the scripture I talked to you a minute ago about. It says, you know, that he seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
he'll give you everything else as well. But it goes on further in that particular scripture to say that you can't love both God and money, God and your own desires, because you'll either love one and hate the other or be, be faithful to one and unfaithful to the other. And it's a truth. God's word never changes. You cannot both serve God and yourself or God and money or whatever else drives you. The idea of money is an idea of an idol, something else other than God to rule your life and direct your life. Now, some people would think that that sounds like not much freedom, but freedom isn't defined by the lack of rules and regulations. It's defined by freedom of the ability to live a life without uh, having been hemmed in. So we have the, 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 this particular thing, and we contrasted it to Romans, uh, which said, let's see if I can find it real quickly, to be controlled by the spirit of God or controlled by the sinful nature. Spirit of God, sinful nature. Cannot have both, one or the other. So in your life, as a bride of Christ, you can have one or the other to rule your life, but not both. Now, the reason I'm showing you this is because I want to take you to a... The cross made it possible to have God back in there. If you notice in the very end of Genesis, it says... It says this statement that really gets me. It says this. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden a cherubim with flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So, before the fall, man was God-centered. And that's the way he lived. After that, he was no longer God-centered. And something kept him from ever being God-centered again. It says they changed the way he operated. We were designed to live from the inside of us out. Now, I'll make a reason why that's important in a few minutes. Not the out-in. And after the fall, man was, was determined to live by the outside-in. Because in the attempt to try to make him holy, he lived a bunch of rules and regulations. And those rules and regulations were an exterior law or exterior rule to rule one's life. They didn't work. As a matter of fact, that's the whole Old Testament is to show you that no exterior rules and regulations and laws can ever make you holy in God's eyes. It's only there to show you that you don't have what it takes. So the rule, don't do this and don't do that, the scripture says only made you want to do it more. So when we would live a life that says we can't do this and we can't do that, what happens? It's touching from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what happens is all of a sudden we want to do that. And very often the first thing that happens when someone gets saved is they give that other person all the rules of do's and don'ts. And you may live by rules of do's and don'ts. But the scriptures are very clear to tell you that when you live by the rules of do's and don'ts, you're going to want to do those things and you will end up doing them sooner or later. Because that's how we were made. Because there's nothing on the outside, no exterior thing can cause us to live inwardly right. Now the consequences of the fall were very easy to see. 
They first had a choice, and now they're measured by what they did. Since they sinned, they're measured by how often they sin and how bad they are. That's one of the first consequences. They found out they're naked or inadequate, so the first thing they did was looking at themselves and, oh, I really don't have what it takes to make it. I really do live a short from what I should be. And they were focused on themselves, and they continually, by outward mode, tried to make themselves look good. So they tried to go out and prove, provide for themselves, promote themselves. They tried to do things to get everybody to see that they were okay and to prove to themselves they were okay. So we have a, we have a life that's lived by the outside in. Rules and regulations. Now when the fall came, the presence of God was gone from the inside. It was empty. And that's, if for people that don't know Christ, that's what they feel. Empty. And there is design in our life, a place in here for God to be. But it's empty without him in there. And there's no amount of things that you can do, no amount of being good, no amount of righteous work, no amount of giving like this man did. Now, this man's a Christian. He did it for the right purposes. But if you do what uh, what uh, uh, Tom Shoes guy did, Mikowski did, to try to get approval from God, it will never work. Because there's no amount of good you can do to be right with God. That's what the scriptures say. I'm just summing the whole scriptures up for you there. There's no amount of doing something from the outside, external practices. There's no amount of uh, serving people or giving to the poor will do it. It doesn't change what's inside. Because from, from that point on, from the fall of man, everything was based upon the outside, by performance, by what you do, and you're judged by what we did. But see, God has a different plan. And with the, uh, with the cross, the curse was removed. And you're going to see a different picture. Then you find this little story going on. Now this, I'm going to steal from somebody right now, from Ian Clayton, who is here. By permission. And this is the inner man. This is the soul, and this is the body. Okay? Because when we say yes to God, God dwells in us. The last song we sang, what did it say? You're my everything, but what else does it say? Christ in me, Christ in me. Now, we know Christ in me, but we really don't believe Christ in me. We still try to force God in, just like we did in the past. We try to get more God in our life. But the scripture says the same God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. The same one. It's not about getting more God in you. This might open up some doors so more God comes out of you. Because we're no longer an outward life. We're living by inward life. So in here, this is the inner man, Christ dwells. In the power of the resurrection, in the power of the same God that raised God from the dead, dwells in you. So we don't have to run around trying to get more God in us. The, thing, the key is the God out from us. Now, Ian does a really interesting thing here. He does here. He, he's listening gates. You know, we, we're a gatekeeping church, and so this is really interesting to me. So, Christ in you, and the first gate to get out is first love, that God is first in your life. If first love comes, He fills that spirit man inside. Okay? The inner man or soul, uh, spirit man. 
if I can get the spirit, uh, is then filled. Now, the reason I'm going here, and the reason I want to go on this and teach you about this, is because we find ourselves continually stuck in the same ruts in life. And we don't know how to change that. And dealing with this is, I believe, how we change it. Because we will, if we can begin to understand that we're not trying to get more God in us, we don't need to do that. We can, we praise God and he, he energizes who we are inside, but he's all the way in there. Now the key is getting God in the other parts of our life. Now, let's see if I can throw this up. Ian's drawing is really pretty good. Now, I don't know if I'll make it or not, but we'll see. Ah, too bad I can't get it up there. Need to work on it beforehand, just didn't have a, a chance, and I'm not really great on that kind of stuff. But I'll have to just do it by hand. And in the in the center, there are some different gates. Because what, what we want to do is when we find that we continue in in the sin life that we want to be free from, we find there's certain attachments that come in our soul. Sometimes there are spiritual attachments, sometimes there are habits, or sometimes different things in our life that need to be taken care of. And the thing is, we have to have, we have God living in us. And, God, and the scriptures tell us very simply, are we getting there? Great. That, uh, that very simply, that uh, both God and sin cannot coexist in the same place together. That it's impossible for them to. So when God comes into something... What's not of God leaves. And so a lot of times you'll see different people with different spiritual, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have a little, different spiritual situations in there. And what they have is they have different attachments in their, in their, in their soul. And their soul, the soul in our life is the thing that activates what we do and what we don't do. The soul is a kind of like the initiator of our life and the choices we make. And we are, as Christians, though we're forgiven for everything. And that's, why he did it the way he did. He paid for our price once and for all that we no longer have to live by trying to do everything right to please him. But on the other hand, that's an outward in thing. But on the other hand, because our love for him, it's just like someone who loves someone, you know, you, you love a, you have a, a wife that you love. You want to do things to please her. You know, it's not based upon I got to do this outward rule. It's based upon what's in me. I want to please her. And so that's what we, we, we serve God, not because of the rules and regulations. We serve God because the Spirit lives in us and we want, to, we want to bless God. And we know that we bless Him. Now, God doesn't want us to sin because He knows sin causes us to not become who we're called to be and to be very incontent, discontent. If, if, if we continue in our sin, what happens is, is we're not happy, you know, because we have a, an accuser. Of the brethren called Satan that tells us we stink all the time. Now, if you heard that, that you stink all the time, that's what Satan sounds like. If he tells you that you're no good, you're going to hell, you're rotten, that's what Satan sounds like. Sometimes it comes through Christians' mouths. I've been out there when they get the guy telling you, oh, going to hell, going to hell. Now, it's true that those who do not repent and have Christ in their life will end up going to hell. But that's for the Christians to know, to have the love and compassion for the people, not to go beat people over the head with. Is there ever a time to say that? Yeah, I'm sure there is. 
But it's not the usual way of doing it. It's the love of Christ that compels us. It's the love of Christ that changes us. When we have Christ in our that makes it through our soul, that makes it through our body, people will see Christ and they'll be attracted to who God is. Yes, I thank you. So, in the center, you have God. Okay? It's kind of simple to get him to the other parts of us. It's not, it's not too bad to get him in the spirit man. Get him to soul is a different thing. You know what else is three-stepped besides us? You know, this is how we're made. We're a three-part body. But also the temple was. In the temple, there was a sanctuary in the center. And then there was a court of the uh, Israelites. And there was a court of the Gentiles. It's something that God kind of uh, plays in us. So, in the very center, matter of fact, I have one of that up there. Let's pop that up there, too. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. It doesn't go up. Come on, Sebastian. We got to make it work here. I'm praying right now for uh, somebody, a multimedia person to come to this church and really help me out here. Not mainly because, you know, it's so much easier when you see things. When you see things and you get a picture of things, it's fixing your mind. But in there are three things. Uh, imagine in the very center of the, uh, uh, of, cause the sanctuary, uh, the, the, the sanctuary is in the center and in that was the, there was the court of the priests, then there was the holy place of holy, and there was holy of holies. And the holy of holies would be uh, uh, like the God of glory. Uh, the God. Okay, there you see it right there? There we go. There's another one there you want to try pulling it up to? <laughs> but the outside, the edge, there's not a lot of room for it, was the uh, court of the Gentiles. The center of the big court there is, is uh, the court of Israel, Israelites. And then that, that square thing back there, the first part of it is the, uh, uh, if you walk through the doors, you go into the court of the priests. When you walk through the next door, you go in the Holy of Holies. I mean, Holy, place of Holy. And then you walk through another, it's the Holy of Holies. Now, when Jesus died, it said what? It said that the curtain that separated in the, in the center was the, which I really need the next picture, but I won't do it to you. Uh, can you do it? See the next one that says temple? Okay, let's see this. Yeah, dude, that's right. Well, you see right there? Okay, you, you see I need a laser printer, a pointer. But the first place in the center part on the right-hand side, that's a, a court of the priest. And then is uh, the real sanctuary of the holies, and then the holy of holies behind that. Well, there's a curtain that would divided it, really. And what happened uh, in the tabernacle in the, in the uh, desert is, you know, it ripped that curtain. Same one, desert is one up there. It ripped in half, and there was a new way of going in. So, in other words, that was like our, our, our gate here. So, it, the, where Christ, or God, dwelled, went into the whole place of holies, which is into the whole spirit man. So we have that opportunity there where he's filled that. And the idea now is for it to work its way out. The whole Old Testament was work things in. You know, you would come up there, you go through the, 
the court of the Gentiles, you go to the court of Israel, to the priest, to get to the center. Only one person got the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. Period. End. That was only one. And he only did it once a year. But when Christ was crucified, it says a new way was entered into that thing. That we could go boldly before God. We could boldly go in between that every day. Just like before the fall. Before the fall, in the center of the garden, Adam and Eve had fellowship with God. He said that he would walk with the Father in the cool of the day. Every day he spent with them. He was in a full relationship with God. Full relationship with God. That's the opportunity we have now. Full relationship with God. So, that's neat for us right here. And what happens later is there's an outward action that has to be changed. And that's that spirit man. And how do you get there? Can you get us back to that first one again? There are certain gates, I know. There are certain gates. And I don't know if these, all these gates, this is Ian's thing, are accurate. Ooh, we're getting proficient. Tired. But you can see reverence, faith, hope, worship, uh, can't, uh, revelation, uh, was that imagination? Intuition. All those are gates that get from the spirit man to the soul. Now, what I've learned to do, and it's something I kind of did by accident, and after I saw this, I ended up talking with Ian about it, and that is there are certain things that have to be sanctified. When we learned about gates a while back, we learned that if you defile a gate, you close it off. Okay? And that's what happened in this area. It's been defiled, and it was closed off. And therefore, when it's closed off to God, it's open to the enemy. They either go either one or the other. Remember the two little things? Either God or a tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the enemy's kingdom. You either serve one or the other. So when those gates are closed off, the presence of God cannot get to your soul, which helps you see and helps you go where you want to go. It helps you become the person that you, as a Christian, desire to be. But somehow we can't seem to do it. Paul says, you know, the things, as a Christian, as the thing, he says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. Who's going to save me? And he says, Christ Jesus. Why? He doesn't talk about there, but I believe he learned how to open these gates that the spirit man would come into a soul and then later into the body. Now, how I believe and how Ian speaks about doing this is you sanctify those gates. Just like you would, or I did with the city here, begin to do the process of sanctifying the gates. And it's not by condemnation. It's by forgiveness and mercy. Some of those gates are, are clogged up because of hating people. Some of the gates are clogged up because of your own sin or some sin done against you. Lots of different reasons. I don't know and I don't care what the reasons are, but they have to be opened up that you would become who you're called to be and have the power to live out the life that you desire to live. And it's done by, I, I actually go through it and I put, I sprinkle it. Remember uh, when they left Egypt uh, and they put the blood on the doorpost, you know, to keep the, uh, they, that doorpost is a gate. And when they put the blood on it, they close it off to the enemy and God was, you know, they were safe inside. Well, it's the same thing. When you sanctify and ask God to wash each one of those areas in your life, what happens is it closes off the enemy and it opens it up for God. God can pour out of it. Not to get in anymore, but to get out. The presence of God gets out and it ends up in your soul. And then your life begins to change. 
Then you're beginning to do the things that you've wanted to do. Not because you had a rule or a law to do it, but because Christ lives within you. When Christ lives within you, what happens, and he, you allow him into other areas of your life, then the things that you want to do change. This is Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do, and who's going to save me? Well, Christ does. The blood of Christ purifies those things, that the presence of God flows into our soul, and that and is that the soul is kind of that makes the decisions of what we do and don't do, and that begins to purify that area, and we begin to change and act differently. Now, as we act differently, obviously we still sin and different things in our life. But that's what the blood of Christ is for. He says he forgave us from all of our sin, from the very first to last. So we don't have to worry about if we mess up and sin. Just ask him forgiveness and it's done. And that's all there is. We don't, we don't beat ourselves up about, oh, I don't do this, I'm, I'm no good. No, that's from the pit. We can live a life now of freedom. A freedom that God living in us, dwelling in our soul, causes us the desire to do the right things. Then, you see these other gates here. I'm going to read them here because I can't read them that well there. Uh, maybe I won't. I have to read them here. Uh, then you have, uh, uh, now the conscience, as pointed out by Mario, should be in the next one in. I think that's missed. But the reason, uh, uh, imagination, all the different things that are listed in there, those are other gates. Those have to be cleansed as well. And as you close, uh, cleanse those gates and open up those gates, it pours into your actual life. In the past, it's been carnal life. Now it's going to be a holy life because God changes us in how we act. Then you see yourself doing things that you would never do, possibly, like Tom did. Help people that live a life to help people that need help. Uh, some people just do that naturally. They're just really nice people. That won't get them to heaven. They're just really nice people. I was one of those, I can tell you. I was not a real nice person. So I, I really relate to this as God moves to other areas of my life. Now, and then it goes this, uh, the outer level, the, the seeing, the smell, the uh, hearing, and all these other things. Now, do you ever remember the movie uh, Doom? My, one of my favorite movies of all time. You remember in there that, uh, I can't remember the guy's name right now. I just thought about it a few minutes ago, so I'll throw it in there. And he was kind of a type of Christ. And his name actually, when he spoke his name, it says, it was a weapon. <laughs> it was a weapon. You know, and God's name is a weapon. And stuff. But what I want to put to your thought right now is a different type of spiritual weapon than you've seen before. You see, the power to break what the enemy does comes right here. Yeah, angels help. Angels work. But the power comes from right here. It's the spirit of God living in you. And what, I, what I've been moving in lately and, and playing with a lot lately is I just allow, I open those, those gates, bam! It'll break what the enemy's doing around me. Uh, first time I kind of really kind of played with it, I went and prayed for this guy that was in a wheelchair, and the whole place was just oppressive. It was really, really oppressive. 
The spirit of the enemy was really in the place and beat the guy up for years, you know. And I just released God from the inside out. And I watched the enemy just back off really quickly. You see, if we can learn to allow God to come into our soul and into our body and be able to open it up where it not only comes out of our mouth and telling people about God. You know how when it works when it tells people about God, when it comes from the very inside, from the love of God, all the S's, everything else is noise, First Corinthians says. It comes, the power comes when you've spoken or, or how you see things. Everything, all these things come when it comes from the inside. When it's the Spirit of God moving through all those gates and going to the outside, that's when the power is. Well, you can do that same power in warfare. And so I'm, over the next weeks, I'm going to develop that more. Uh, how we do that and how we, how we do war, warfare by the living God that dwells in us. Do you think that the living God doesn't make the enemy run? <laughs> he makes him run. The enemy does not like God's presence. And since he dwells in us, if you can figure out how to get him out of us, <laughs> the outside, he's going to do warfare and things are going to leave. But even more than that, too, he's going to change you and your life is going to operate differently. You're going to operate from a place of power to be able to live a life you've never been able to live before and wanted to. Most of you are in the kingdom because God planted a seed in you that says, I want to be more than I am in him. There's something I'm, I'm lacking. There's something I don't, I don't, uh, 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 I know there's more. He puts this in us. He puts it in us because that's who we are. And he puts it in us to become everything that God calls us to become. If we get the things out of the way. Now those lots of things are clogged up. And if God is so centralized where he's just inside of you and he doesn't even, you don't have the first love, then what happens is God doesn't fill your spirit, man nor your soul or your body, and you live a dead life that's very boring and doesn't have God's presence in it. You don't, well, you may know him. I don't know where that lies. But it doesn't work for you. Because the first gate is first love. You know, that's why, you know, it, it, the first thing in Revelation is return to your first love. Why? So to fill your spirit. Because in the last days we need that type of thing. We need to have God dwell us on all those levels. And at, at that temple... It was torn. It was open. It was torn by our first love. Christ made a way that we could enter in. So, no longer outward in. It's inward out. The way we live this life. Big difference. Most of us are running around trying to get more God of us, God in us. And if you really think about it, it's ridiculous. Because faith says if you, if you repent, for your sins, and you ask God to come into your heart, he will come. Whether you feel like it or not, he'll come. Whether you feel that, if you truly ask him to come into your life, he will truly come into your life. And he'll fill your heart, your spirit man. Then he'll fill your soul, and he'll fill your body, and then he'll pour out to other people where they're going to see Christ and who he is in you. Let's close our eyes for a second here. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to play with this just for a minute. This takes some time to do. I'm going to tell you. 
and take t- it takes time. Yeah, it's practicing the presence. Take time to learn how to open up those gates for God to flow in you. So what I'm going to have you do is close your eyes, and then I'm going to ask, you're going to ask God to come and to open up that first love gate. You're going to ask that the blood that she shed on the cross for you would wash over that gate, and that would open up that you would feel his presence. I know many people that live their whole entire Christian life without feeling the presence of God. And it is entirely possible to do that, I believe. It's not the way I want to live. Now, now some of you may not know him. And if you don't and haven't asked Christ in your life, while we have our eyes closed, what I want you to do is just say to God, you know, that you don't measure up on your own. Because everything, all the rules and regulations and all the things in life was to show you that you don't measure up. We don't have what it takes. God knows we don't have what it takes. That's why he sent a son. So you're going to say, okay, Father, I don't have what it takes. My heart isn't right with you. Forgive me. Because you know what? Your heart does not have to be right with him to accept God in your life. It's, the scripture says, why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not why we were yet perfect, Christ died for us. It's why we were yet sinners. That's the whole point. So if you don't know him, say, Lord, I don't know you. I'm a sinner. Forgive me and come to all my heart. All right? And the rest of you, I want you to ask, and then you can ask after that, that you would, first of all, that God would open up that gate, that his presence would be the first love and would pour into your whole spirit. So, Father, we ask that right now. I ask that as they pray this and as we have a few minutes of silence here or a little worship, uh, that you would honor our prayers and our weakness, Lord, that you would come into our hearts and that you would fill our whole spirit, man, that you would dwell your glory, that we'd be able to feel the presence of your glory. So go ahead. Hold back the lies of the enemy, that the enemy would not be able to speak to the people here and, and sow in doubts and bring condemnation. That that each and every person here would know fully the forgiveness that you've given them from the cross. The forgiveness from their very first sin to their last sin. So Holy Spirit, I release you right now to wash every gate in their lives, Lord. I release you to put in each and every person that first love that honors and loves you far above all things. Father, I ask that you forgive each and every person's in here's sin. And would give them the witness of the Holy Spirit that their sins are forgiven. And I speak freedom over you right now. Freedom. Freedom that the Holy Spirit would occupy your whole inner being. And your whole person. That you would manifest in the presence of God all around you. So we love you. We honor you. Amen. Now I want you guys to practice this. That, that practice allowing God to move through you. And practice allowing God to move out from you. And if you ask God into your life today and haven't known him before, 
the scripture says you need to declare it. So just tell someone that you said, God, commend me. Because he promises that if you ask him in sincerely, it will never leave you. But I must tell you this. This life is not an easy life of following Christ. It's about laying down your life for him and living your life for him in every aspect of it. But in that comes the greatest freedom and joy that you'll ever have. Because that's what you were made for. If you're here, you're here because God ordained you to be here. It's not an accident. It's not, it's not a friendly thing. It's God ordained you to be here because he loves you. I was amazed by a friend of mine who, he, 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 God had him come to California to minister. And he brought him into San Francisco first. And he wouldn't allow him to go in and begin because he says, you're not right. You don't have my heart. And this man's a really cool man of God. And he went up to this hill and he just was arguing with God about it. And he said to him, you've judged San Francisco. But I love San Francisco. That struck me. I love San Francisco. He loves the people. His love is for you so much that he laid his life down. Just like every, for every person in San Francisco and every other part of the earth that people act, say they hate him or whatever, God loves them that much. So there's nothing that you've done or can do that can separate you from God's love. So I bless you. I bless you. Uh, if you need prayer, I ask that you would come up here. Uh, our prayer team, come on up first. And we're going to pray for anybody that needs prayer. Uh, whether you just want more assurance of what you just, uh, decision you just made, or you need help with that, or you have a sickness, come on up and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, we bless you, and you have a great day and a Merry Christmas.